that would put him on pace for about a 102-point season. The offense was never a question with this guy. Hey, what a, what a great media stereotype that is. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, episode 172 of Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. And yes, I know I am awful at math, but already approximately 10% has of the season has already been played. It, it just seems like yesterday that the season opened on October 14th. And here we are, as I speak, eight games in, or like I said by my bad math, approximately 10% of the way in. And hi, I'm Andrew Gross, and on this episode, we'll review some of what we saw in October and look ahead to November, as it should become clearer exactly what kind of Islander team this will be. And uh, I'm sure you know the stat, about 80% of the teams that uh, are in a playoff position around Thanksgiving, wind up getting to the playoffs. I think right now uh, the percentage is around 65% or so, uh, and, and the Islanders do have one of those playoff spots as we speak right now. Um, so, you know, like I said, it, it's still a long way to go, and, uh, you know, it's uh, four, two, and two through October, somewhat of a promising start if you want to look at it this way. So we'll, we'll go over all of that. We'll also have a conversation with former goalie Corey Schneider, who is now working some Islander games for the MSG networks, as well as doing some national work for the NHL network. And of course, some of your questions for Andrew's answers. So to set it up, as I sit here in my Washington, D.C. hotel room in advance of the Islanders facing the Capitals, uh, which will just be their third road game. And, and by the way, it really doesn't start to feel like a season until you, until you hit the road on somewhat of a consistent basis. And uh, that's what November will be like. As I said, the, uh, uh, the Islanders played six of eight games at UBS Arena in October, uh, like I said, a 4-2-2 two two record, uh, much tougher schedule uh, in the upcoming month. Uh, 9 of 14, I believe, are on the road uh, in November. They've got two games against the Carolina Hurricanes, one in one at UBS, one uh, at Carolina. They've got a, a second game coming up against the Devils. They also face the Minnesota Wild and the Boston Bruins, who are off to another fantastic start. Uh, Islanders also take that uh, western road swing uh, where, where they're going to face uh, the Edmonton Oilers, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, etc. Uh, there's a stop in Calgary, there's a stop in Vancouver, uh, and a stop in uh, Seattle. But uh, again, Four two and two through October. That's ten points. Uh, again, by my awful math, that would put them on pace for about a hundred and two point season. That kind of clip would be should be uh, good enough to make the playoffs for the Islanders. And if you look at the Metropolitan stand uh, division standings right now. It's, it's the New York Rangers, the Carolina Hurricanes, the New Jersey Devils, and the Islanders, one through four 
in the Metro. And then you've got the Washington Capitals, the Philadelphia Flyers, who have cooled somewhat off of their uh, strong start. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, gave the Islanders a tough game in Columbus, but still very young and developing. And then uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are the opposite of very young and developing. They are uh, kind of on the other side of 30. Um, so it's the Caps, Flyers, Blue Jackets, and Penguins, five through eight. Uh, and, and I do, and I predicted this in, in Newsday before the season. I, I thought the Islanders would qualify for a wild card spot. I, I do expect the Islanders to finish in the top four of the division. Um, and in fact, the way the Metropolitan Division is broken down right now, uh, one through four, five through eight, I think stands a really good chance of being the way it will be in April, though not necessarily exactly in that order, of course. I, I think the Penguins should rise somewhat from the, the division basement. Um, but I, I never thought they were a playoff team this season. Even after uh, bringing in Eric Carlson, I, I, I just think there's a, a little bit too much age there, despite how much skill uh, there is on that roster. So, um, you know, the, the Penguins getting off to a slow start did not surprise me, does not surprise me. Uh, again, though, really, there's a tremendous chasm between now and April. Uh, the Islanders, as we've all seen, there's been some good in their game, but there, there are still improvements to make uh, as they start to play these more road games. As I mentioned, 9 of 14 away from UBS Arena uh, in November. If we look at what we do and don't like from the Islanders so far, uh, we'll start with the negative because, hey, what a, what a great media stereotype that is, right? Um, in the needs improvement category, uh, the Islanders' power play has started 4 for 25. That's 16%. Um, you really want to see the Islanders, you know, closer to 24 25%. Uh, I think would be satisfactory. Um, and if you listen to one of the back episodes, I, I believe during Andrew's answers, I was asked, what, what, what's something crazy you want to say about the Islanders that you, you really haven't given a voice to or you, you're almost afraid to say? And I, I believe I said I didn't think the Islanders' power play would be abysmal. And and I don't think it's necessary. Four for 25 uh, you do want more production. You have seen some things on the power play that give you some hope that this is going to click at a little greater pace than 16%. For number one, uh, the zone entries have been much cleaner. Um, the, the Islanders have struggled from time to time with keeping the puck in the offensive zone, but getting it over the blue line is no longer the, the comedic, uh, you know, keystone cops that we've uh, seen in the past. So uh, that that's a very good sign. If you can get it in the zone, you can start setting it up, and uh, that should lead to more production. Um, Bo Horvat, in, in particular, has looked really strong in that bumper spot on the first power play unit, uh, right between the circles. He's getting the puck. Uh, he's shooting Bo Horvat, never shy of shooting. Uh, he had eight shots in the, uh, in the season opener. He's continued to shoot. Um, he's got four goals, 
through the first eight games. Uh, two of those four goals uh, uh, came on the power play. And, and I think why the first power play unit has looked more efficient uh, than it did at times last season, certainly after Matthew Barzell suffered uh, that injury. Um, a lot of what I'm seeing good both five-on-five and on the power play out of the Islanders this season is Noah Dobson. Um, Just playing with so much confidence. He's he's getting the puck up ice. Uh, He's he's distributing it really well. He's looking for a shot. He's getting his shot through traffic. Um, And we had that little dance uh, in the last game, that uh, 4-3 overtime loss uh, to the Red Wings, which will get... Two, but the, the the second goal, I believe, uh, Dobson shoots uh, from the right point. Did Brock Nelson tip it? Well, at first it was credited to Dobson, so I wrote it that way. And then it was switched to Brock Nelson, so I switched it to Brock Nelson. And then it was changed back to Noah Dobson, so I, I, I edited my copy that way. And then finally... After deadline, I believe, uh, it was finally uh, switched back to a Brock Nelson goal. Uh, so, yeah, um, still, that, that was, you know, Noah Dobson getting the puck through traffic from the point. And how long have we talked about the Islanders, both on the power play and on five-on-five, on five, just needing to get more pucks on net? Uh, from the point, you know, to create rebound opportunities, uh, to to set up their other players. And, and Noah Dobson, you know, the, the offensive numbers were always there for him. Um, and he's he's totaled 100 points over his last two seasons. So uh, 13 goals in each of the last two seasons. The offense was never a question with this guy. Um, it was... Getting him on the ice for longer and longer stretches as he improved defensively and you could trust him more. And, and, and that is happening. Him and Adam Pellick uh, as the top pair have, have really been a good, good top pair. And, and, and Lane Lambert is trusting uh, Noah Dobson against the other team's top lines or top attackers. And he's trusting him down the stretch and he's trusting him also on the penalty kill. Um, so, uh, Noah Dobson's improved overall play. I don't want to say his offense, but Noah Dobson's improved overall play is really, uh, probably the brightest of the bright spots so far, uh, as you go through this season. And obviously, you know, this is what we've all been expecting from Noah Dobson here. Uh, since he was the uh, 12th overall pick in 2018, came right to the NHL. He's already an NHL veteran at only 23 years old, not even in the prime of his career yet. So uh, good things from Noah Dobson. But, uh, uh, but we're still in the needs improvement, improvement category, right? And uh, the Islanders are giving up an average of 34.8 shots per game. That's uh, the, the fourth highest uh, shots allowed in the NHL. They've, they've really got to cut down on that. Um, they can't trade chance for chance or high danger chance for high danger chance. And that was sort of the rut they got into against the Detroit Red Wings. And uh, just to uh, settle on that game for a second, that was uh, the last game in October. 
they, they had a 2-0 lead very early in the, I think about a minute, minute and five into the third period. 2-0, and uh, Ilya Sorokin's playing out of his mind, and, and you sort of felt, you know, in the past, the Islanders would lock it down in the third period. But the, the, the Red Wings are the NHL's, or were the NHL's highest scoring team. They, they showed why. Uh, they got three goals in the third period. The Islanders, Bo Horvat, uh, had to scrape to get the Islanders to... Uh, two overtime so they get a point out of that when they really should have gotten the two points and uh you know that will be that's the next step between being a you know a decent team and really being one of you know the stronger teams in the NHL you got to win those type of games and uh again it was trading chances with the Red Wings you're not going to beat the Red Wings doing that no certainly the Islanders are not set up to trade chances like that um also on the power play, you know, power play one has been well established. You got uh, uh, Noah Dobson as the quarterback. You got Kyle Palmieri. We'll get to him in a little bit. He's at the net front presence. Uh, Bo Horvat in the bumper spot. He's been really good. Matthew Barzell is in the one-time slot in the left circle. And you got Brock Nelson on the right. And the the puck's been moving. I'd still like to see more movement out of the players. Um it's a little stagnant still, I think, at times. Uh, they, they, could, they could move it, not the puck, they could move their bodies a, a little bit. Uh, they seem to settle into you know, their positions, and, and then they wait for the puck. Um, but on, on power play, too, there's been a little bit of a toggle back and forth, and that's uh, the, uh, the, the one-timer spot from the left circle. That, that's Oliver Wallstrom's spot when he's in the lineup, and uh, it's Ryan Pulak's when when Wallstrom is out of the lineup. And right now we're going into the Capitals game. Wally is again out of the lineup with Hudson Fashing going back in. And uh, honestly, it, it's been a strange season so far for our, for Oliver Wallstrom as he uh, works to get back from this knee injury that curtailed his season last season. Uh, he starts... As a healthy scratch with Hudson Fashing on Jean Gabriel Pajot's line, um, and then Lane Lambert inserts Wallstrom for for Fashing uh, on Pajot's line, and then Lambert two games in a row. The last, uh, as I speak, the last two games, he's elevated Wallstrom to Horvat's line uh, for Matthew Barzell against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Lambert said Barzell's line just was not going, um, going being in quotes, uh, not producing enough. Um, so he put Wally there to try and switch that up. And then, uh, against the Detroit Red Wings of all things, Lambert didn't like the defensive, uh, end from, from that top trio. So he put Wallstrom there to try and bolster the offense, uh, the, the defense, I'm sorry. And it, if you look at the uh, naturalstatric.com uh, analytics, uh, they, the, the, when, when uh, Horvat was on the ice with Anders Lee and Matthew Barzell, that trio got outchanced 14 to 12. And that's uh, like Lane Lambert said, you don't want to be trading chances. Uh, he, so he puts Wallstrom there to, to try and uh, stem that. Um, but, you know, uh, Lane Lambert says it's not anything that Wallstrom does 
has done or has not done that's gotten him out of the lineup. He wants Hudson Fashing back in. Um, still, uh, you know, this is a, a prove-it year for, for Oliver Wallstrom, uh, and uh, I'd like to see him get, you know, more more a more consistent chance in, in the lineup just to see if, uh, you know, he is... Because he's got the chance, right, to actually elevate into a top six scoring wing. That's what we've all thought. And uh, no disrespect to Hudson Fashing, who does who does his job really, really well uh, when he's playing well with the physicality and he chips in with goals. But Hudson Fashing is more of a, a, a third liner where you would like to think that Oliver Wallstrom could be, you know, on, on one of the top two lines, but, uh, you know, inconsistency in and out of the lineup, that that's not how he's going to get there. Um, the third line, if you think, uh, you know, Bo Horvat uh, started with Simon Holmstrom on his left wing, now it's Anders Lee, more of a net front presence. Uh, that seems to be working. I know I advocated for uh, Anders Lee to, to be on Jean-Gabriel Pajot's uh, third line. For now, I, I think Anders Lee has certainly been a pretty good net front presence, and he's retrieving pucks in the corner. Uh, so I'll give Lane Lambert and Anders Lee the win over me on that. Um, but Pajot's line has been really unsettled. You, you had Anders Lee there, and then you had now Simon Holmstrom on the left wing. You had Hudson Fashing, and then you had Oliver Wallstrom, and then Matthew Barzell comes down for a couple of games, and then uh, for a couple of, you know, shifts or a couple of periods, and then uh, Wallstrom, and now Hudson Fashing. It, it's not really a surprise that uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot has just two assists in his first eight games, because that line has never really been allowed to uh, uh, develop in any meaningful way. Um the I, I mentioned Noah Dobson on the penalty kill, and, and the penalty kill has really settled down uh, after allowing uh, four power play goals and five chances to the Devils in a, in a 5-4 overtime loss on October 20th. Um, and, and again, uh, it's been really good to see Noah Dobson's contribution there, although you get... You know, you get the regulars there uh, with 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 Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak and uh, uh, Cal Clutterbuck, Casey Sezikis, um, uh those guys uh, up front, and and John Gabriel Pajot too. Um, I, I mentioned, I think I mentioned, but the the Islanders need to do a little better against some of their tougher opponents. The Devils' loss was tough. Uh, they, like I mentioned, they blew that two-goal lead to the Red Wings on Monday. They also lost 7-4 to the Colorado Avalanche. That was a 5-4 game with two empty net goals. Uh, but those are the teams with more points than the Islanders. So uh, uh, the Islanders have not beaten a team that has more points with them yet. Um, they, they split a home-and-home home with the Sabres, too. Maybe that's a, a point or two that, that got away from them. Um also amongst things that maybe uh, still need to be worked out is the minutes distribution on the back end. Uh, Scott Mayfield is working his way back into the lineup. He's skated, uh, he started skating with his teammates regularly, but still, uh, as I speak, the only game he played was the, the season opener, the win over the uh, Sabres. He blocked a shot. 
uh, I believe, early to mid-third period in that. He, he finished that game, but he's not been seen uh, in a game since. Uh, as a result, Noah Dobson, Adam Pellick, and Ryan Pulak uh, especially are, are logging heavy, heavy minutes. Uh, you know, uh, Dobson's been 25-26. Pellick's been 24-25. Uh, Pulak has been 25-26. Uh, heavy, heavy minutes. And then you got Samuel Bolduc, uh, who's paired with uh, Sebastian Ajo. Sebastian Ajo's in the mid-teens, getting around 15 minutes per game. And then Bolduc has been under 10. And there was a game where he had five-plus minutes and six-plus minutes. Uh, that's not really sustainable uh, to really go with five defensemen like that. Uh, for the long haul, it'll change when Scott Mayfield comes back, obviously. But for now, you know, uh, uh, Scott Mayfield being out has has really uh, impacted the minutes distribution the way uh, Lane Lambert and Doug Huda are, uh, are doling that out. Now, uh, amongst the good... Here uh, for the Islanders, Brock Nelson, Brocktober, off to another strong start. Four goals, one assist, and uh, uh, Noah Dobson's game, I talked about it. That's both 5-5 five and five in the power play and special teams, trusting him defensively, uh, really, really good. Kyle Palmieri, uh, you know, at one point we were talking about whether or not he would start the season, right? He missed uh, the first half of training camp the first couple of weeks, but he started really strong with three goals, four assists, uh, net front presence on, on power play one. Uh, he's always stirring it up around the net. Um, they need that kind of production from Kyle. You want to see Kyle be in the 25 to 30 goal range, and that's not something he's been able to do with the Islanders yet. And, and then uh, Cal Clutterbuck he is playing literally as well as I've seen him play since I started to cover this team. And that was way back when Doug Waite was behind the bench. Uh, Cal is active. He's chipping in offensively. He's agitating. He's running his mouth, as evidenced by that 10-minute misconduct uh, the other night. Um, You know, Cal obviously has been slowed significantly the past couple of seasons with some some really bad injuries. He's never going to be 100% healthy again. Uh, He's just beaten up his body too much over the course of his career. And by the way, he's he's coming within a thousand games. Um, That that could happen within November um, if he stays healthy. And uh, look, I I know a thousand games is this, you know, mythical milestone and it should be because anyone who gets to play a thousand games in the NHL you've had a great career for Cal Clutterbuck to get to a thousand games given the way he plays I I don't want to say it's a miracle because Cal does everything in his power to stay on the ice and and to rehab and rest and recover but Cal Clutterbuck getting to a thousand games it means almost a little bit more than uh, you know uh, someone who does not lay who who does not lead the NHL all time in hits. Uh, it's just it's it's truly a remarkable uh, thing when and you know when he does get to a thousand. That's that's something 
uh, that that really should be celebrated, uh, that guy getting to a thousand games. And uh, also amongst the good, uh, of course, are the goalies. Um, both Ilya Sorokin and, and Semyon Varlamov uh, both have a shutout uh, within the first eight games. Uh, Sorokin maybe should have had a second shutout against the Red Wings before his defense abandoned him. I talked about that Devils loss, the 5-4 overtime loss. Sorokin stopped all 28 shots he faced 5-on-5 in that game. He got beat four times on the power play and once 3-on-3 by a Jack Hughes ripper in in overtime. Uh, Sorokin has played back to his, uh, you know, runner-up Vesna uh, performance from last season. Varlamov uh, he was the only reason the Islanders even had a chance up in Buffalo because the Islanders were, were just uh, sluggish and, and bad that night. And, and Varlamov actually gave him a chance, 3-1 loss. Um, and then he gets a shutout. Um, so, uh, look, the Islanders have to pray that both Ilya Sorokin and Simeon Varlamov stay healthy because there is not another proven NHL goalie in this system. Uh, Jakub Shkarek and Ken Appleby are playing uh, in the AHL for Bridgeport. Uh, Shkarek has gotten uh, five of the first seven starts. Tristan Lennox and Henrik Tikkanen seem to be sharing the net equally uh, in the ECHL for Worcester. Um, That's the ECHL. but again, none of those, you know, Shkarek is obviously probably the furthest along out of everyone. He has not logged a minute in the NHL yet. And uh, Corey Schneider was that third goalie last season. And he, of course, had a really good NHL career uh, before hip and groin injuries really curtailed him. Uh, he, you know, he was a is in a tandem in Vancouver with uh, Roberto Luongo, got that team to the Stanley Cup final uh, in 2011. Uh, he comes to New Jersey. Lou Lamarillo acquires him there in a trade that actually, for the ninth overall pick, that turned out to be Bo Horvat to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, he winds up you know, being Marty Brodeur's successor with the Devils. Uh, the last three seasons in... Bridgeport with the Islanders, kind of as the in-case-of-emergency goalie, uh, got to play that one game for the Islanders and went into New Jersey and and beat them, uh, which was a huge moment for him. But I I, I got to chat with Corey Schneider in Columbus before he worked his first Islanders game. Uh, And during the course of the conversation, just so you note, uh, when I mention Boiler, I mean everybody's good friend, Brian Boyle. That's Corey Schneider's former teammate with the Devils, fellow New Englander, and the, the two of them are I- extremely tight. I mean, we haven't spoken to you, yeah. I guess, since you announced your retirement. You did announce it, right? Sort of, yeah. Sort of. It was I don't leaked know, out there. So. I, I don't know if you put the papers in or... Uh, I don't even know if I did either. Yeah, I, I mean, assume when I was on any rosters anywhere in the world that people would sort of yeah, figure that I wasn't well, playing hockey. I mean, at the draft, uh, Lou told us you were 
probably going to go to Europe. And if it was you a were thought, we were, we were discussing it potentially. Yeah. And I had some interest over there. Um, yeah. I'm a Swiss citizen, so it would have been a non-import situation. We did yeah. it during the lockout in 12-13, so we discussed it. But I think ultimately, um, you know, I just decided that it was not something I wanted to do. And just yeah. then talking to my family, they were up for it, but it would have been, you know, a big endeavor at this point of our lives. So I think physically, I just didn't know if I wanted to put myself through that grind, even in Switzerland. Well, at this point, like, how would peace are you? I mean, I know how much time and effort you put into trying to get back to the NHL, right? Like, are, are you at peace with this? Yeah, I mean, I, I pushed it as far as I could. You know, I think the last two years were, were great for me just to play the game, even mm-hmm. the American League level. And, uh, you know, getting some call-ups with the Isles and getting that one game in two years ago was was a great experience. You know, I obviously would have loved to have maybe had a few more opportunities, but that's not how it worked out, and that's okay. It happens, and I understood that coming in. So, um, But, you know, I, like I said, I, I proved that I could still play at a, at a good level, and I think that's what I was looking for after the, the years prior to that. So from a hockey standpoint, you know, it was time. I wasn't ready to continue chasing it just to satisfy my own needs or, or uh, desires. So I think it was, it was time, like I said, to let the kids play and be at home with my kids more and my family. Is, it, is this the way you want to stay involved, or do you want, you know, management, coaching? What, what are your thoughts, like, you know, post-playing? Yeah, I mean, it's something um, yeah, I've put a lot of thought into, but I think for now, I think, um, you know, I'm very blessed and fortunate enough to have, to have done well enough where I don't need to jump into something right away, which is, is not something everyone gets to do. So um, I think, you know, for this year, I, I want to stay involved in the game in some capacity just to make sure I'm, on top of it, I know what's going on in the league. I know what's mm-hmm. happening. Um, but I think I don't want to jump into a, a schedule that is going to mimic what I did for the last 16 years. So I think uh, this is a great opportunity to, to stay busy without being too busy. And uh, I'm just really excited to, to be with MSG and be given this opportunity to, to call some Isles games and talk some Islanders hockey because I got to know this organization and a lot of these guys really well over the last three years. So um, they're probably the most familiar to me of anybody in the league that I've played for right now. And um, you know, it's, it, for me, it's a fun opportunity because I do enjoy talking about hockey and um, thinking about it. It's been my life for the last 30 years, so uh, hopefully it's something that I can be good at. <laughs> I know what I don't know, I guess, is the is the right way to put it. So I'm trying to ask a lot of questions and just soak things up. Uh, people like Shannon and even Hicks, who I spend a lot of time with. I uh, watch him on TV and how seamless he's made it look, so I know it's not that easy how easy he's made it look. But Butch and Brennan, uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of their calls, watching Isles games over the years to sort of keep tabs on, on this team. So... Um, I think the good thing is I'll be with a lot of good people who know what they're doing. They're going to help me through this, and they already have them. So um, I'm just going to, you know, try not to do too much. Just, just, you know, do what they brought me in here for, and that's, uh, you know, my insight and experience and the knowledge I've accrued over 16 years of pro hockey, and just try to, you know, disseminate that to the fans as easily as possible. The, the, I'm sorry. The only thing you really have to do is just be better than Boyle, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's pretty good, though. He's a little different angle than me, but, um, you know, it, it's been fun to watch him, too, because he's one of my best buddies. So yeah, I know. I'm sure he's going to give it to me if, if anything goes wrong, too, so I better be squeaky clean today. <laughs> they want to get me integrated here and just run me through a few. You know, I don't know the exact number yet. Um, obviously not too, too many. They have already... Like I said, a great crew working game. So, um, you know, I'm kind of just working with them on and when, when they need me. So for now, uh, I'm just going to focus on tonight. And, you know, like I said, it's not something, too, where I want to do a million games right away and, and, and be super busy again. So I'm just really looking forward to tonight and just take it as it comes. Now, now that you're not in the organization, you know, not playing, what's your take on the state of the organizational goaltending strength, you know, with, with Yakub and... Appleby coming up, Lennox. What, what have you seen out of those guys? And, you know, how far away do you think some of these guys are? Yeah, you know, I've, I've played with Jakob the last two years, so I've been, you know, working with him closely. And 
um, you know, I, I saw him make some good strides over the last few years. There's some elements of his game that, um, you know, Chris Terreri down there and, and Mitch Corn when he come by, we, you know, we're trying to, you know, refine and alter a little bit. So I think as a young goalie, you, you have a certain way of doing things, and then you realize what works and what doesn't. I know I went through that process in Vancouver and made some adjustments that, you know, my career just took off after that. So, um, you know, it may not work that way for everybody, but, you know, he, he puts the work in, Jakob does. He works extremely hard. He wants to be really good. So I know the drive is there. So sometimes it takes a little bit of time. And um, I think this year him being kind of the guy will be good for him. He's split with me the last years and years before that. So I think being the number one guy and knowing that he's going to play a lot, it will be good for him just to get reps. It's all about getting reps as a goal. You just need to play. And, you know, Appleby's been around for a long time. Yeah. So he's a big kid and, you know, I think pretty underrated skill-wise. So I think I've always liked this game. So if he can translate that and put it together, that'd be great. And, you know, Tristan, I, I don't know as well. I've seen him in a couple training camps. So um, I know they're excited about him. They've kept pretty close tabs on him and try to help him along the way. So I think his, uh, his pro debut this year, whether it's in the East Coast or the American League, I think um, they're pretty excited about his upside and his potential. So, um, you know, like I said, I don't know too much about him yet, but uh, I'll be interested to, to follow along and track him and maybe pop into Bridgeport a few times to check in and see how they're doing. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Corey Schneider. I'd like to thank him for his time. And I'd like to thank you for your questions. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And we'll start with DG, who says, with Jordan Eberle's departure uh, a, a few seasons back now, who is Matthew Barzell's BFF on the team? Uh, and are there any other duos on the team right now in terms of off-ice friendships. And, and one thing, and I've mentioned this on and on about the Islanders, that is a very tight locker room. Uh, there are no real clicks in there. And, uh, you know, more than Jordan Eberle, though, I, I would have said Barzell's BFF on the team was Anthony Beauvillier. That was, the two of them were always together. Uh, they came up together. They lockered next to each other. They were very tight. Um, I, I don't know if if Barzy is as tight with anyone as he was with Anthony Beauvillier, but that's not to say he's not friends. You know, he's he's tight with everyone on the team. Uh, that's the way it is. Uh, you know, um, any other duos, you know, obviously the, the identity line, those three guys, you know, their families are tight. They're at each other's houses, and uh, uh, a bunch of Islanders kind of have houses together in one community. That still includes Josh Bailey, where they're all, you know, with each other here and there. And uh, also Matt Martin and Ilya Sorokin have developed a, a really strong friendship as well. So it's... It's, you know, the two goalies, Varley and uh, Ilya, are are, are very, very tight. And uh, Alexander Romanov obviously is tight with his, you know, two fellow Russians. But he's also uh, close with his fellow, uh, you know, he sits right next to Samuel Bolduc in the the room. Those two are always friendly with each other. The the guys, it's a good room to be in. Um, Thomas Boyle says, if this continues, do you see changes in the front office immediately? And it's amazing, you know, the different ways you can see this, right? You know, Thomas, obviously, you know, four, two and two start to Thomas Boyle. He's probably, you know, thinking more of that, that loss to Detroit or the, the loss to, uh, uh, to the, the bad loss up in Buffalo where the Islanders weren't competing that night or, or you know, losing to the Devils. But uh, look, for two and two, I, no, the, the front office is not... Uh, if this continues, like I said, they're on a, a 
pace for 102 points, and that would sort of augur well for the front office. But if you mean, you know, if they're going to, you know, not beat the better teams and they, they kind of hover around 500, uh, after this season, if this is a 500 team that misses the playoffs, that's when I think you have to start questioning, you know, where where they go with the front office from there. Um, Will Forthman says, with Pierre Dorian, the GM, uh, being fired up in Ottawa, that, that came down uh, right before I started recording, or, you know, earlier today, it was because of the... Uh, Kenny Dadanov uh, trade that got invalidated and uh, Ottawa didn't apparently report a situation to Vegas. Um, so the, the GM takes takes the fall for that. So anyway, with Pierre Dorian being fired in Ottawa and the Pinto, Shane Pinto situation, uh, the, the Long Islander Franklin Square gets suspended 41 games uh, for gambling uh, issues. Um not on the NHL. The NHL wanted to make clear. Um, they didn't really make anything else clear. Um, Will Forthman wants to know, do you think that helps or hurts Josh Bailey's chances of getting signed there? And I don't think anything, uh, Dorian being fired, Shane Pinto not being available until January. Uh, look, Josh Bailey went up to, to, to Ottawa and he couldn't have had a better chance of making that team uh, given the coach, DJ Smith, knows him back from juniors. And Jack Capuano, the the associate coach, obviously coached Bales with the Islanders. And Bailey put up numbers in the, uh, in the preseason. I think he had, uh, what was it, one goal, five assists in six preseason games. Uh, they, they slapped an A on him for the sixth preseason game. If he didn't make the team based on that, um, I don't think they're going to revisit him. There was something that the coaching staff saw uh, that made him decide that Josh Bailey could not help them during the regular season. I don't think uh, their minds are going to be changed on that, unfortunately, because I really would like to see uh, uh, Bales, you know, I, I want to see him be able to end his career the way he wants to end it. And I'm not sure that that's going to happen now. Um, Benoit 44 says, uh, Lou Lamarillo has had a short leash with coaches in the past, uh, but he seems more loyal to coaches and players the last several, several years. Uh, does Lane Lambert get past the all-star break if the team is struggling? And look, I, I think this goes to the idea that if this team is struggling, you know, Lou, Lou might be, you know, the one that we talk about or ownership talks about changing after the season if this team is really struggling. Um, and, I, and Lou is obviously aware of that. So if the team is really struggling, uh, you get to December, January. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that Lou... Really, the only move Lou would have at that point would be to try and shake things up behind the bench. But again, you know, uh, I know he really likes Lane, and he's looking at his four-two and two is a, a good foundation to try and get the season going here. So, uh, you know, Lou's Lou is not of that mindset right now. Um, Patrick Beard says. Uh, I know it's early. Will the Islanders be active on the trade market this season? Well, if you look at Lou's past record, you know, uh, you got Bo Horvat 
before the trade deadline uh, uh, last season. And, and at the draft, he brings in Alexander Romanov. Um, Lou's, Lou has shown he has been active in the trade market. So I, I don't think anything would change. Um, but we're going to go to the next question, which is from uh, Stephen Masatelli, uh, which is, can the team make any meaningful changes to the roster this year, given their salary cap situation? And that's uh, that's where you really got to question whether, you know, the Islanders will be active or not on the trade market. If uh, we go to capfriendly.com, I, I'll just read off the players who have either no trade clauses or modified no trade clauses. And you tell me, you know, how much significant change can be made. Um, Matthew Barzell actually doesn't have anything, but you're not going to trade him. He's in the first year of an eight-year, $72 million deal with some change in there. Uh, Bo Horvat has a no trade clause. Anders Lee has a no trade clause. Brock Nelson has a modified no trade clause. And the Islanders aren't going to trade him. Jean-Gabriel Pajot has a modified no trade clause. I guess, you know, you could come to him. Uh, to to try and get something. And and the same could be said of Kyle Palmieri, modified no-trade clause. Pierre Engvall, just starting a seven-year deal on a modified no-trade clause. I I don't think uh, you're you're going to move him. Uh, And then the guys without any protection are, you know, Casey Sezikis, Cal Clutterbuck, Matt Martin, um, Simon Holmstrom. And look, you're not getting probably a lot... Uh, for Cal or Matt Martin just because they're so much more valuable to the Islanders. And, uh, you know, Casey could bring something back, but I, 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 they're, they're not going to do that probably. And then defensively, uh, Ryan Pulak, uh, uh, no trade clause. Adam Pellick, no trade clause. You're not going to trade Noah Dobson. Scott Mayfield is starting a seven-year deal with the no trade clause. And Alexander Romanov represents the youth on the back end, along with Noah Dobson. Uh, you know, and then you're left with, you know, Bolduke and Sebastian Ajo. And you can't really move Bolduke because he... Uh, he's pretty much, you know, the defensive prospect that you're you're banking on right now, and then you're not trading either of the goalies. So, to your point, yeah, it, it, it's hard to see significant or meaningful changes to the roster. But then again, last year Lou was able to you know, turn Atu Ratu and Anthony Beauvillier and a first round pick into uh, Bo Horvat, um, and then we'll finish up with. Sab says, what have you noticed between lane season one and lane season two so far, both in-game and post-game? Um, I'll start with the post-game. Uh, uh, lane, um, yeah, I mean, you see the the press conferences. He can be dry and uh, sometimes, you know, not completely forthcoming. But I believe he's been more forthcoming this year. He's explained stuff uh better, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, He's given us more insight. He's talked about players. He's given honest answers as to what he is or is not seeing. And that's very much appreciated from our end. And I think, uh, you know, it's every right for a coach to say his piece like that. And on the bench, I, I think... He does seem a little bit more comfortable in making in-game changes, and uh, 
uh, you know, if something's not going right, he's 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 quicker to to address it. I think this season uh, compared to last season. But um, I, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate uh, Corey Schneider's time and your questions. And uh, if you want to uh, pursue further, you know that all of Newsday's Islanders content is up on Newsday.com backslash sports or Newsday.com backslash Isles, and until the next time, happy hockey, everybody.